I believe the Lord has spoken to me today. And uh, I believe what he's already said and what he's already dealt with us about thus far in the service is just um, perfectly setting up the word of the Lord. Amen. I mean, want to hear the word of the Lord today. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Before we get into the word of the Lord, we want to celebrate. Amen. Uh, uh, Pastor Elijah and uh, Sister Kayla, they took a group uh, from their campus uh, to a special service that was happening in the area. And uh, we want, we're so excited to announce that they had one from HF campus to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. God is truly moving in all of our campuses and uh, just great reports. Amen. And, and we're just so thankful, so thankful for what the Lord is doing. Amen. Somebody said amen. Amen. I, I want to I speak and I, I hope, uh, I feel this so very strongly uh, in my spirit. My prayer today, this morning was uh, to, to be able to articulate, to be able to express and to make sense of what I feel in my heart. Uh, to those that are in this room today, and uh, so I, I want to speak, maybe the title um, will hopefully make sense, uh, I, I want to speak today on what the poppy field taught me, what the poppy field taught me. If you were to go to Flanders, Belgium, early in the, in, uh, in the early years of the 20th century, you, you would have found Acres and acres and acres, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of acres of fields surrounding that area, all intertwining in that region. And yet what you would have not have found would, in those fields would have been flowers, much of any kind at all. And the reason for this was because the soil in that area was extremely poor. It did not possess that which was necessary in order to grow anything of real beauty. Stay with me as I lay a foundation today. And yet if you were to go to that area today, and some of you may have even uh, know what I'm talking about when I spoke about Flanders, Belgium. For in certain circles and in groups it is, it is known worldwide for if you were to go there today, in fact, the title picture is from a field in Flanders, Belgium. And then we have a couple other pictures to show you. Beautiful flowers. Beautiful flowers. What you see in these pictures and what you see on the title slide from these fields are what are called red poppies. So here we see that there was a transformation from the barren fields from whence nothing could grow to now as just a few of these pictures showed you and there's, there's more to be seen but now Acres upon acres upon acres of beautiful flowers, red poppies, growing throughout the countryside. In fact, these flowers became so bountiful that poets would do their best to capture their beauty when they said, I've seen them in the morning light when white mists drifted by. I've seen them in the dusk of night glowing against the starry sky, the slender waving blossoms red, mid-yellow fields forlorn, a glory on the scene they shed, red poppies in the corn. In fields that just a short time prior had lain barren, empty, and colorless, void of anything of beauty, now red poppies filled the fields as far as the eye could see. And the reason 
for this great change in the landscape is really quite remarkable. For it really began to change on one particular day, April 25th, 1915. For it was on that date as the world was embroiled in the First World War that the Allied troops landed on the fields surrounding Flounders, Belgium. And so it was that over the course of the next eight months, some of the heaviest battles took place in all of World War I. Some of the heaviest battles took place on those fields, Flanders fields. And when the Allied troops eventually left after eight months of heavy fighting, one could see now that almost the entire countryside was now covered with beautiful red poppies. For lying in that barren soil, stay with me now, I'm headed somewhere, lying within that barren soil for millennia were dormant poppy seeds created to be something beautiful And yet they're languishing dormant in the ground. For in order for the poppy seed to bloom, the ground had to be tilled. The ground had to be broken up in some way in order for those barren seeds to be able to push forth their green shoots and eventually their beautiful petals to the top. And it was that those particular fields had simply been left undisturbed forever. But when the battle came, and when the conflict came to the area, bombs began to tear up the ground, the tracks of the tanks, the digging of the trenches, The explosions of war disturbed, broke up, and broke apart the soil. And the breaking up process now afforded those dormant seeds an avenue and an opportunity to rise to the surface and bloom. Stay with me now. But it wasn't just the undisturbed ground that kept the poppies from growing. For the other reasons those seeds had remained dormant for so long was because there was nothing in the soil to fertilize them. For as I've already mentioned, the land in that area was really quite barren. But with each bomb that was dropped... There was an explosion. And each explosion released nitrogen into the air that eventually settled on the earth and into the soil. And with the destruction of each building, the lime that was used in the construction of that building was now scattered about and also taken into the soil. And both the nitrogen and the lime began the fertilization process of these dormant seeds. And yet, as graphic as it may be, even greater than what the nitrogen and lime could do for the fertilization of these poppy flowers was the blood and the bones of hundreds of thousands of men and horses who died in battle on those fields. It buried them in the fields. For so it was that the longer the war continued, the more men and animals died, and the more they died, the more the poppies thrived. So here we see that the two things that caused that which was dormant, that which was barren, to come alive 
and to bring forth the beauty for which it was created. Number one was conflict. And number two was death. The conflict tilled up the soil. And the dying of so many nourished the dormant seeds to sprout forth in all of their beauty. Now, at first mention, that may seem like the makings of a pretty negative and sorrow-inducing message. But I don't intend for that to be the case today necessarily. For I feel the Holy Ghost wanted me to speak to two groups of people in this service today. Help me, Jesus. The first one I'm supposed to speak to are those who know what it's like to face some conflict. I'm speaking to those in the room who know what it's like to endure some battles. I'm talking to somebody who's even now fighting the good fight of faith. I'm addressing somebody who knows what it's like to be confronted by the adversary of your soul. You know what a trial of your faith feels like. You know what it's like to worship in the middle of pain. You know what it's like to rejoice in the middle of suffering. You know what it's like to have to fight to be faithful. Faithfulness doesn't come easy, doesn't come naturally. Sometimes faithfulness requires somebody to fight in order to be faithful to the things of God. There's a conflict there. What I want to do is the things I don't always do, and the things I don't always do are the things that I want to do. And there's a battle raging on the inside of me. There's a conflict on the inside of me, you know what it's like to have to contradict the lies of the adversary with the truth of God's word. Fighting for your mind, fighting for your family, fighting for your future, fighting for your ministry, fighting for your calling. Come on, am I talking to anybody who knows what it's like to have to endure some conflict? Ah, the Apostle Paul would speak to us about our need to fight against the will of our flesh. He would tell Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Hebrews 11, faith's hall of fame would speak of the saints of God who waxed valiant in fight. I'm talking about conflict today. Those in conflict, conflict with your health, conflict with your finances, conflict, conflict, conflict. I referenced the verse on Thursday, but I, I, I want us to look at it again from just a little bit different angle this morning. Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, and Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then it says, with persecution there's going to be some conflict <laughs> and in the world to come eternal life heaven heaven so here we see that in response to the sacrifices that we have made in order to live for the Lord and to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord says we're going to receive a hundredfold in this life anybody thankful for that I'm thankful for the blessings. I'm, I said I'm thankful for the blessings that come with serving the Lord. Woo, hallelujah. Come on, is there anybody that can testify to the fact that when you made up your mind to serve the Lord, blessings came with that? I said blessings, bountiful blessings came with our decision to serve the Lord. And so the Lord speaks here of this hundredfold blessing that we're going to get. And then he says, and oh, by the way, you're going to have some conflict as well. Uh, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some conflict that comes your way. And then it gets right back to talking about the blessings of eternal life. Joy, blessings, 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 conflict, heaven. Good things, good things, good things. Conflict, heaven. 
So why is it? Why is it? Why is it that it's in there? Why is it that he put it in that passage? What is it? What is the point of telling us that we're going to have to endure some conflict? I believe it's because the verse ends by telling us that we're going to receive heaven as our eternal reward. And the Lord wanted us to know, hear me, that without conflict, we're probably not going to get there. If all we ever encountered were the blessings of God, blessings, hundredfold, hundredfold, hundredfold. If he just went hundredfold blessings, eternal reward. But that's, in his wisdom, he knows that's not how it works. Because if all we ever encountered were the blessings of God without ever having to face some conflict, then we're probably not going to make it to heaven, my friend. Because this word persecution there, it speaks of tests and it speaks of trials and it speaks of struggles and loss and enemies and adversaries and unfulfilled things and dark nights and negative words and lies and criticizing and condemning and pain. To those who know a little bit about conflict, the word of God is letting you know that as uncomfortable as they might be and as dark as some of those nights may be to get through, without those things in our lives, we're probably not going to be able to make it to heaven and we're for sure not going to be able to fulfill the plan of God over our lives. How many know sometimes it takes conflict? Because just as those seeds were dormant until conflict, so also is there some things in us that is dormant and never comes to fruition in the blessing. We don't see it. When the check's in the mail, we don't see it when he says yes. Come on, somebody. We don't see it when everybody's doing well and healthy and money in the bank. We don't see that which is dormant in those times. Because how many know sometimes the true character of an individual is dormant in particular areas of their life? Until they get into some conflict. I want to talk to somebody now. I mean, no, we can say we're, how spiritual we are all day long. We can think that we've got this sanctification thing down pat. We've got this God thing, Bible thing, church thing figured out. But then let a little conflict come our way. And all of a sudden, we begin to see some things about ourselves that we didn't know was there. I didn't know it was there, Pastor Elijah, when I was dancing under the influence of the Holy Ghost. I didn't realize it was there when I was talking in tongues on my face. I didn't know it was there when I was running the aisles, when I was teaching the Bible study, when I was all the thing was going good. But then all of a sudden, conflict came into my life and I started to see some stuff about me that I didn't know was there. Things that are hidden, things that are often overlooked are not ever brought to the surface without conflict. Things suppressed because of conflict are now brought to the surface. Deficiencies we may not have been aware of are now made manifest because of conflict. Turn up the heat a little bit and we begin to see if we're really as dedicated as we say we are. Turn up the heat a little bit and we begin to see are we really as consecrated and faithful and sold out to the things of God as we portray that we are 
unrestrained, hear me now, unrestrained anger isn't noticed until somebody does something against you. As long as everybody's patting you on the back, as long as everybody's kind, as long as everybody's saying things to you, you want them to say, you don't see it. Let a little conflict come and see where and if anger rises. Jealousy isn't noticed until we're faced with someone else having something we want. And don't just think it's always belonging. Sometimes it's ministry. Bitterness doesn't rise to the surface until somebody does us wrong. A gossiping tongue isn't known to be within us until we get some juicy news that nobody else knows. A spirit of adultery isn't really known until we have an opportunity to be unfaithful. An unforgiving spirit isn't known until somebody who really, really hurt us asks us for forgiveness. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You see, because it's only in the conflict that any of the wrong that is within us can be made known. Several years ago, my mom, for the most part, was feeling fine physically. In fact, we, we kind of laugh about it now. She was, she, uh, she was trying to lose some weight, and she decided to exercise. And she was doing sit-ups or something, and the next couple days, her stomach was hurting. She didn't put two and two together. She thought something bad wrong was happening in her stomach. We laugh about it now. It's just She was sore from exercising. But she said, I, I better go get this thing checked out. So she goes to the doctor and sets up an MRI. And wouldn't you know it, they found cancer. Some of you remember this. They found cancer in her body that if they would not have caught it then, just a few weeks, a short time later, it would have killed her. She had no idea it was there. She went in because she did too many sit-ups. She had no idea it was there until she went through a test. And the test showed her something she didn't realize was inside of her. And the test saved her life. I've been sent to minister to somebody today who's going through some conflict. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm preaching to somebody. Somebody going through a test and a trial and conflict and the Lord sent me to tell you today that you're not going through it because God has forsaken you. And you're not going through it because God doesn't care about you. But rather you're going through it because the grace of God is doing that which is necessary to illuminate within you the very thing that has the potential of destroying you, your home, your family. Your ministry, your calling, the very thing that's holding you back, the very thing that's keeping you from moving forward in the things of God. This is what God's trying to show you. This is what God's trying to reveal to you. But it's going to take a test. You're going to have to get into a conflict. There are some stuff lying dormant within us all that's never going to be made manifest until conflict begins to break us. Break us. Break our will. Break our thoughts. Break us, break us, break us, break us, break us. And then all of a sudden, that which was in us that we didn't know has the ability to be made manifest in our lives. The book would say it like this in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rain righteousness upon you. 
Now, I didn't always, I didn't know until I studied this out a little bit what fallow ground meant. I just always thought it meant neglected land or just land that, that was totally hard-baked and was, was uh, no attention had ever been uh, spent on this land, but that's not necessarily what it means. Fallow ground means it means it was it was it was furrowed out, but just barely. Attention was given to it. There was some furrowing that took place. There was some plowing that took place, but it was just inches, superficial. Come on, Jesus. It was just a superficial attempt. And the Lord said, I see your superficial attempt. But he said, what you're doing with inches and superficial. He said, I want you to break it up. Break up your fallow ground. You're trying to look the part on the surface. Come on, Jesus. You're trying to look the part on the surface. If somebody were to look at the field, they would think it was being handled correctly because of what they could see on the outward. But the reality is it was all superficial. There was no depth to the breaking process. And the Lord said, come on, you got to stop just doing what you can do on the outward in order to make everybody think you're something that you're not. And I'm going to send some conflict and it's going to start breaking it up, not on the surface, but on the deep things of your life. Because watch what happens. He said, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rain righteousness upon you. I'm here to tell somebody under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that it is only after the breaking up of the fallow ground that we can then truly begin to seek the Lord and that he can then pour out the rain of his blessings upon us. I know you don't like the conflict. I know you don't like what you're going through. I know you don't like the season that you're in. But it's a breaking process. It's a breaking up process. The things that were shallow could never have gotten you to the place God wanted you to go to. So he had to release some conflict. Come on, Jesus. He had to release some conflict in your life and know it's not easy. And yes, it is painful. But after the conflict, it then releases us to seek him like never before. And then for him to release. He couldn't do it with our shallow attempt. He couldn't do it. You see, the rain, the rain needs furrow ground to produce the crop that it wants to produce. Nothing superficial. The rain will just hit it and run off. But if there's depth to the broken up process, I said if there's depth, the rain has the ability to filter way down deep to get to that thing that is dormant. That's why we can talk in tongues. That's why we can run the aisles. That's why we can, we can, you know, speak the name of Jesus and come to church. We can do all of those things and still have all kinds of dormant stuff lying on the inside of our lives. Why? Because on the outside we look the part. But when the rain of God's presence hits us in a service even like this, it doesn't have access to get down to the dormant things that reside within our hearts and within our minds. But the Lord said, if you allow some conflict to come and if you'll you'll endure the process of the conflict he said it's going to break it up on a deep level, not a superficial but a deep level so then when the rain comes and the rain of my presence hits you it's going to be able to penetrate past the superficial things where you used to keep him and it's going to be able to get down to the deep things where the dormant things are and life is going to be able to spring forth Come on, somebody lift your hands. Woo. Ah. I'm talking to somebody. 
I feel so strong in the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you something. This is why. This is why the enemy fights that submitted life so strong. This is why he wants to keep you unsubmitted to the things of God, to the man of God, to the word of God. Why? Because sometimes, how many know, it is in the submitting of a certain thing that it requires us to first be broken. Come on, who am I talking to now? Most of the time, in order to submit to something, you see, submission is agreeing with something and being obedient with something that you don't agree with. If you agree with it, it's not submission, it's agreement. You see, because you can agree with something and have the inch, superficial thing on the outward appearance of your life. And the rain never has the ability to penetrate to the depths because it's agreement. It looks the part. It looks right. It looks good. But submission is an agreement. Submission is being obedient even when you don't agree. You, you don't have to be submitted when the answer is yes. Submission comes and the reality of whether you're submitted comes when the answer is no. Anybody can agree with a yes, but what are you going to do with the no? Come on, I'm talking to somebody now. And this is why the enemy is trying to keep some people from being submitted to the things of God, the word of God, and the man of God. Because he knows if they'll ever get submitted, uh, along with the submission process, is a breaking process. Because you cannot be submitted and unbroken at the same time. There's got to be a break of your will. There's got to be a break of your thought. There's got to be a break of your desires. That's why the enemy is fighting your willingness to submit so strong. You want to know why? Because he sees every dormant thing lying within inside of you, and he wants to keep it dormant. He wants to keep it inactive. He wants to keep it ineffectual, without purpose, dormant. And so he'll, he'll allow you to look the part. He'll allow you to sing a little bit. He'll allow you to talk in tongues a little bit. He'll allow you to cry a little bit. Just make sure you're not submitted to the process. I surrender all. Just don't surrender everything. Just surrender enough so people will think you're something you're really not. And when the rain comes, it hits the surface. It deals with surface because that's the only place that is broken. But nothing could ever grow. Nothing can ever grow. And the seeds of your calling and of your ministry and of your life dormant on the inside of you. Ooh. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction. We're going to have some conflict, which is it's going to happen for a moment. It's not going to be every day, but there's going to be some conflict. But notice, it worketh for us. It worketh. It's a purpose. It is working something. It's not because God's mad at you. He's working something in you. It's not because he's disappointed within you. And it's not because he doesn't know what you're going through. He knows better than you what you're going through because he's the one that's working it. And what he's working isn't superficial and what he's working isn't small. But what he is working is a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Come on, he's trying to work something grand in your life. He's trying to work something glorious in your life. He's trying to work something life-changing, life-altering that has eternal consequence. But it's comes, it comes 
the working process comes through conflict. Your conflict has purpose. Your conflict has reason. Your conflict has divine appointment. James 1 and 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith conflict worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, let me, and I don't mean to keep going back. Well, I do because I feel like the Lord wants me to keep going back to this. Here, let me tell you something. That's why unsubmitted people are always wanting. Unsubmitted people are never content. Unsubmitted people are never happy. Unsubmitted people are never plugged in. Unsubmitted people are never fully engaged in the things of God. Why? Because they want things because they're unsubmitted to the process. But the Lord said, if you'll let the work work, if you'll let the conflict do what the conflict was sent to do, it's going to begin to do a perfect work. And when it is complete, you're not going to want anything. You're not going to like anything. Unsubmitted people have so many questions. Unsubmitted people have so much turmoil. Unsubmitted people have so much angst on the inside of it. It's a battle. It's a battle. Every day, every service, every move of God, it's a battle within them. Why? Because they're unsubmitted to the process. But if you'll allow the conflicting power of the presence of Almighty God to come to where you are and begin to mess with you and break you and break your will and break your thoughts and break your desires in order that you might take upon yourself his will and his thoughts and his desires. He'll then move you to a place where you will want for nothing. Ah. So don't quit. I'm here. I, I need to tell somebody don't quit in the trying of your faith. I know you're going through a trial of your faith. That's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. Don't quit. Don't give up just because it got difficult. Don't stop just because you're enduring some rough times. Don't throw in the towel just because you don't like what's coming against you. Yeah, it's a conflict. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it's not pleasant. But if you'll let it work, God's doing something powerful in your life. God's doing something glorious in your life. And he's working in you something you could have never worked on for yourself because you didn't know it was there. Come on, somebody praise him. Let him work. Let him work. Let the conflict do what it was sent to do. Now, somebody said amen. Told you there were two things that brought forth the poppy seed to the surface. I'm going to not spend as much time on the second as the first, and then we'll close. But the second thing that was caused, that caused those poppies to grow in that field was death. You see, because the ground could have been tilled by the conflict, but if death hadn't have happened, there would have been nothing to spark the growth process. No fertilization. And so, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. For the book says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, and they that are Christ's have crucified put to death the flesh the affections of their flesh the lusts of their flesh the desires of their flesh the will of their flesh 
They that experience everything that Christ has to offer, they that have encountered everything that Christ has to afford, they that have been enlightened to all that Christ has to give, every one of them had to go through a dying process. I surrender all. God's speaking to somebody today from prayer service to the preaching. Every one of those individuals had to go through a dying process where they became willing to crucify the affections, the will of their flesh. Had to die. For we cannot have what Christ wants for us and keep what we want for ourselves at the same time. It's impossible. We cannot hold on to the things of the world and hold on to the things of God at the same time. One of those two things are going to have to die. My passion for the world or my passion for God. You cannot live two worlds at one time. We cannot come to church, look the part, dress the part, act the part, come up here and pray a little bit, and also serve the world. And the mindsets of the world and the thought processes of the world and think the way they think and desire the things they desire, you cannot do both. One of them is going to have to die. Either we can continue pursuing the worldly things and cause our godly commitments, our godly callings, our godly appointments to die. Or we can crucify our flesh, the lust thereof, we can crucify the lies of the enemy in our minds and allow God's blessing and God's purpose and the reality for which we were created to come to fruition. But something is going to have to die in order for something else to live. Romans 6, 3, know ye not that so many of us were baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized unto his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, somebody say if. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be, somebody say shall be. Also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice what the word is telling us today, and I'm, I'm quickly coming to a close. But I want you to notice, keep it up there. The if was connected to the death. But the shall be was connected to the resurrection. Notice, the question was connected to the dying out. But the statement of fact was connected to the rising up. If we die out to our flesh, we shall be resurrected to newness of life. If we die out to our flesh, we shall be delivered from the bondage of sin. If we die out to the carnal pleasures of this world, we shall be new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things passing away and all things becoming new. If we turn our hearts to the Lord, we shall be delivered from the addiction that consumes you, the depression that weighs you down, the burden of guilt that will never leave you alone, and the questions that bombard your mind. But it's an if. 
if, if, if. The change is a statement. The beauty is a reality. The ministry is a given. The purpose for which you've been called is an automatic. It's the statement. It will happen. That's not what's in question. The question is, if we're going to die to our flesh, our will, our thoughts, your deliverance isn't the problem, your help isn't the problem, your ministry isn't the problem, your calling isn't the problem, your future isn't the problem, none of that's the problem. The problem is, will you die? I Surrender all. Not a part of it, but all of it. And I close, I close with this final verse today. John 12, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. It never becomes what it was intended to become. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that loves the way his life is. He that or she that, we that, want to do what our life wants to do. Our will wants to do. Our flesh wants to do. Eventually, they're going to lose that in eternity. It will be lost in eternity. But he that hateth his life in this world, meaning I hate the sins, I hate the wrong, I hate my thinking, I want his thinking. I hate my will, I want his will. I hate the way my flesh wants me to go, I want to go the way he wants me to go. He says, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal. They're going to live throughout all of eternity in heaven. Be alive forevermore. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, he will be, he will my father honor. I feel so strong. I wish I could speak this the way my heart feels it. I sense in our young people, I sense in our hyphen, I sense in men and women in this room, some of you I know, some maybe I don't even know, I sense within you there is divine seeds of divine purpose attached to your life. Seeds of divine calling attached to your life. Within all of us in this room today are seeds of ministry and seeds of peace and seeds of joy and fulfillment and clarity and seeds of contentment and yet the problem is those seeds are lying dormant and to continue serving ourselves and to continue living like we're living and to continue doing what our flesh wants to do and continue to fight against the things of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God, to continue fighting against that point where we just totally surrender ourselves to God and get broken, 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 broken and contrite spirit. To fight against that, I will not break. I will not break. I'll stand here and cry a little bit, but I will not break. I'll stand here and say a few praise words, but I will not break. I will not break. The ground of my heart will not break. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse. There's so much of us, there's so much of us in us that wants to do the things of the world and so much within us that has so many questions that we don't want the word of God to answer. We're allowing the things of the world and the voices of the world to answer and we're listening to the voices of the world more than we're listening to the voice of God's word and it is constructing within us 
a will. A will. I will not break. I look the part. I'll act the part. I'll lift my hands. I'll pray a little bit. But I will not break. I will not die on an altar. I just won't do it. Because I want what I want. And I want to think how I think. And I want to live how I live. And I want my future to look like what I want my future to look like. And so I refuse to be broken. And I refuse to die. And dormant seeds of ministry and calling and purpose languish. Things of beauty, things of such beauty, ministering under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, singing in the power of God being released out of us. Walking in righteousness. Walking in the beauty of holiness. Beauty. Things of such beauty that were intended to be so beautiful, flourishing in our lives now stay dormant. Unfulfilled. 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 Why? Because we refuse to be broken. And we refuse to die. But in this room today as we stand, it's the will of God. Hey. It's the will of God. For somebody to be broken in his presence. Like you haven't been broken in his presence in a long time. And it's the will of God for somebody in this room, in this altar, to get to a place where you finally make up your mind. I'm going to die to my will, to my flesh, to my purpose. As I see it, in order to take upon myself the purpose of God. So that those things so beautiful that God instilled into me before I was even born can begin to flourish, begin to grow. And so the beauty that is within me can then be made manifest by all who see me. Lift your hands.